Our scripture is in Luke chapter 6. We are finished with our children. Uh, the children can be dismissed, and, and that's sweet. Um, we, um, we just finished our series. Uh, we did our values, and uh, we do that every, well, this is the second year we did that, and it's something that we enjoy doing as a church. It kind of, every year kind of brings us back to what is our mission, vision, and values as a church. And every year around August and September, we get new people to enter into our church because a new, uh, new freshman uh, arrive at USI, maybe uh, other students at USI finally discover us, finally find us, finally find out that we're a church near USI, or just people in the neighborhood or in, the, in Evansville come for the first time, and they get to kind of get a little bit of a taste of what our church is about, and so that's always an enjoyable time to do, and I am always in, it's always great to have other people preach as well, and hopefully you enjoyed that as well, and we're benefited from different personalities and how God speaks through different people. Um, and so we're moving back into the book of Luke, and we, this is a series that we have been kind of doing over the last year and we'll continue to do, and, and we'll kind of uh, go back to it and then leave it for a little bit and then go back to it. So, um, so we're in Luke chapter 6, and I am in Isaiah. Uh, Luke chapter 6. And we are going to be reading verse 12 through 16, a short little passage here. There's a lot of things to discuss, even in this little, this little passage. If you don't have a Bible, there is the, the, the scripture is on the screen, but since you are all in the 21st century, I'm pretty sure you have a Bible on your phone or on your iPad of some sort. Um, so this is verse 12 of chapter 6 of Luke. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and those from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he called, named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the songs we worship, Lord, and thank you for voices and uh, the ability, Lord, to praise your name. Lord, we uh, thank you this morning for new friends and, uh, that we've gotten to meet. Lord, I pray that they would feel welcome this morning. I pray that they would, that new friendships would be started this morning. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your sovereign plan, how you are mysteriously, Lord, uh, bringing people into your church through uh, different ways, Lord, and we praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, that uh, people uh, get a flyer in the mail and, and decide to come, or a friend invites them, and maybe they just decline several times, but then this particular time, I don't know, they decided to come. Lord, we know that you're a part of that, that you're the one that orchestrates that, and we praise you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word to read out of, Lord, that we have uh, scripture, Lord, that we as a church and as a people can center around your word. Lord, I thank you that that is the focus of this morning, not me or, or anyone else, but your word. Lord, we pray, this, that you would, we pray that you would be praised and that you would be honored, that you would be glorified this morning as you already have been, Lord. Lord, we pray uh, for Servant Fellowship Church in Boonville and pray for Ryan Moore and Jessica and, and Jamie, Lord. And Lord, we pray for that church, sort of another church plant that started just the same time we did, Lord. 
Lord, I pray for that community. I pray, Lord, that you would use Servant Fellowship, Lord, to reach the people of Boonville and that people would come to know Christ as already has already happened. We know that the testimony of your work already that you've already done. Lord, I pray that, you, that people would not only just be saved, Lord, but they would be discipled, that they would be trained, that they would be uh, sent out, Lord, from that church. We pray that other churches would be started and planted out of Servant Fellowship, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Lord, as we, as we learn from your word, as we teach through your word, Lord, I pray that you would convict us. Lord, I pray that you would bring thoughts to our mind that need to be th- brought up. Lord, I pray that sins would be confessed. Also, Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged. Pray that we would leave here encouraged. Pray that we would leave here understanding your grace and your love. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this, this passage, I mean, it's short, it's great, but uh, with any preacher, you can always find a lot of things to say with just a few verses. Um, and the first thing I thought about when I, when I read through this is um, I kept on bringing to mind uh, sports teams that I was a part of as a kid. Man, I was a part of some doozies, like some really bad teams. Um, I remember in football, I played uh, like little midget, little, I don't know, like uh, peewee football, I guess is what it's called. And it played junior football, and I kind of ended there. I think when people got bigger and stronger, I stopped playing. And, uh, but we had some, I played for this, this team called the Ellendale Bears. I grew up in Memphis in the Bartlett Memphis area, which is like a suburb of Memphis. And I went, I played for the Ellendale Bears, man. And we were black and yellow, and we were horrible. And I want to say we won one or two games a year and just got steamrolled in all the other games. So my parents would always call us the Bad News Bears because that was our nickname, and we were horrible. And uh, we also had, like, we had these kids, like, I don't know, like, maybe because they lived in certain areas. We had some, like, we had, like, the most unique kids on our team. Like, we were not the, like, the white collar from upper middle class from suburbia where you, you play those teams and they would just wipe you away. We were just kind of the bad news bears and we were really bad. And there was other teams and other sports that I played. And man, we were an interesting collection of people and we were not very talented and we were not very good. And you still had fun, right? Because it's kids sports. I mean, you still have fun. Like, what are you really playing for? You're just playing for the enjoyment of the game. But man, it, it hurts in football to get beaten up and lo- lose every week. Uh, but that, I know that story may seem a little odd to you coming, but that, I feel like that, that, that story, that experience in my life kind of popped up uh, in, this, in this, this passage because you've got the most unique group of people. Like, if you really, like, took the time to study each one of these people and you were able to do, like, a uh, maybe you had some commentaries or some books. Uh, I know John MacArthur has a book about all 12 of the disciples. They, they, you realize that these guys come from the most interesting background, that, that once you study these guys, these disciples, that you're like, why did Jesus pick these 12 dudes? Like, what, the, the, of all the guys he could have picked and all the people he could have picked, why did he pick these 12 guys? And I think that is the main theme of the passage, that you have these unique 12 guys, these ordinary guys, I mean, they are about as ordinary as you get. Um, they are the collection of the most in, uh, untalented, um, uh, not extremely intellectual uh, 12 people that Jesus could have picked. And to be honest, though, that really is kind of God's style, isn't it? I mean, God picks the most unusual, uh, unprepared, uh, untalented people to do his work. Right? He picks ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And let me just go down the list of people that God, has cho- that God chose to work through. And 
before I do that, I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians. I actually preached from this passage a few weeks ago. But just the, 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 the strategy of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly uh, to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And like, obviously he's talking about Christ and the crucifixion. That really is God's style. He picks the foolishness to glorify his name. And let me just go down the list of people he chooses to use. He used Noah. All right. Now, we know Noah from the flood, and we know about the ark. But do you know the story after Noah got done with the flood and done with the ark? He got, like, completely hammered, like, completely drunk, and showed himself naked before his own sons, right? I mean, that's the guy that Noah, that God picked to, in his family, when, when God wiped, away, wiped off the earth, when he destroyed the entire creation, um, and basically uh, started over with Noah and his family. You think of Abraham. Abraham was a pagan, right? God chose to start his nation, Israel, through a pagan. Someone who worshipped idols. He chose that guy. Someone who actually ended up becoming nine, in his 90s and almost 100 years old. Him and his wife were extremely old. And God chose those people to bring his child a promise. You think of Joseph, right? Joseph was, a, was my, one of my, is my, is my favorite character in the Bible other than Jesus. But Joseph was a slave, right? That's who God picked. He picked a slave in Egypt to end up becoming second in command and, and bringing Israel and well, his family and Jacob, I mean, Jacob and his family into Egypt. And that's how God um, grew them and multiplied them as a people. He used a slave. You think of Moses, right? Moses was someone who couldn't even speak well. He had to use his brother to speak to the Egyptians, and that's who God picked. He picked David, and David was the shepherd boy. He was the, the most insignificant of his brothers, and God picked David to be the king of Israel. Look at John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was this crazy guy in the wilderness wearing uh, camel clothes, wool, and with a, with a belt and eating locusts. I mean, this is the guy that God picked to prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, going back, he picked Jonah, right? Jonah didn't even want to do God's will. He didn't even want to go to Nineveh and preach the word of God, and that's who God used. He, he, he called Peter, and we know of Peter's mistakes, and he denied Christ three times. He picked Paul. Paul was called himself the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. God is always doing this. He's picking the wrong people to do his work. People that we would never pick to be our pastors. None of these guys would ever get, uh, get hired by a pastor search committee. But this is the, guy that, the guys that God picked. And I even mentioned the biggest one, not the biggest one, but another significant one is Rahab, right? Rahab, who was a prostitute, God used. And not only did, she, did he use her, she was mentioned in Jesus' uh, genealogy. None of us would ever pick Rahab to be a Sunday school teacher or to to teach children or to lead a woman's Bible study. But God picked her. This is God's style. God's always doing this. He's picking the, uh, the, the ordinary, the overlooked, 
do extraordinary things. So to start this, this passage in Luke chapter 6, we, we see that, uh, that Jesus in these days, we see this, this phrase, in these days, what is he talking about? Well, I'm just going to remind you and do a little bit of review, but the last several sermons that we preached on the book of Luke, there was constantly, Jesus was dealing with opposition. I mean, he was constantly dealing with the Pharisees and their opposition to him. And so basically what Luke is, is basically staying in that, in that phrase there, in these days, this is the days where Jesus was experiencing a lot of opposition. And so he, he was dealing with a lot of opposition from the Pharisees and the religious elite. And in these days, we see Jesus. And this is basically the middle of his ministry. This is after about a year and a half of his ministry. So we're in the second and the last half of Jesus' ministry on earth. And this is what he does. He chooses 12 followers, 12 disciples, 12 apostles. And what does he do before he chooses them is that he stays up all night praying on the mountain. In verse 12, he went up to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So point number one is this the whole night, the whole night. And I just want to focus on this concept of he prayed all night. And what is he praying about? Again, he's, there's a lot of opposition that's growing in his ministry, and he's moving towards the last half of his ministry, so he's planning for the future. He's planning for the future, because Jesus already knows he is not going to live forever. He is going to die on a cross by the Romans that the Jews are going to hand him over to be crucified and to be killed. And he is, he is, he is preparing for the future. Because even when he raises from the dead, he ascends into heaven. He's not, he only stayed for 40 days after he rose from the dead. So he is preparing for the future of his kingdom with him not on earth. So we went out to the mountains to pray. This is a pattern throughout Luke and Acts, this, this pattern of prayer before a major decision. We see it in Luke chapter 5, chapter 5 verse 16. He said he withdrew to a desolate place to pray. So while this opposition is about to happen, before he calls Levi, before he heals this paralytic man, um, he goes into solitude and he prays. And Luke really focuses on this throughout his, throughout his gospel account of Jesus is going into a, a place of solitude and spending time with his father. This was very much a part of Jesus' ministry. It wasn't just healing. It wasn't just teaching. It was also praying. So fascinating that Jesus Christ, the omniscient God, who is God incarnate, the God-man, spent so much time in prayer. While we struggle to put dependence on God, Christ depended on his Father. He submitted to the will of his Father. I think we should be reminded of that fact and reflect on that fact. That this continual pattern, I just want to show you this, going in Acts chapter 1, verse 24. Acts 1, 24, we see that, and they pray. This is before they, because you know, Judas Iscariot dies, and so they need to raise up a new apostle and they pray before calling Matthias. He says in 24, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. So this pattern, and there's also in Acts chapter 6, verse 6, and Acts 13, 2 through 3, before they sent out Barnabas and Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. What did they do? They prayed. 
So this pattern throughout Luke and Acts of prayer before a major decision. And we see Jesus praying before he calls his disciples. This isn't some... This isn't some, okay, today I'm going to call disciples, all right? I've been meaning to do this, and I've been really overlooking it. I've, it's been on my, my to-do list. I just haven't gotten to it, but today is the day. That's not what happened. Jesus prayed about this. He prayed about it all night. He was in constant prayer about it. He was constantly doing the task. For some of you who are college students who have been in college, you know about this, right? Staying up all night to do a paper or study for a test. This, I mean, you know you're on the task, right? You're on the task all night, this is like your thing. You're not going to bed. You're up all night with the coffee or with the energy drinks, and you are studying, you're cramming, you're writing, you're maybe reading a book that you're supposed to write a paper on, like whatever your, your, your crazy night is going to be about because you procrastinated. Uh, but Jesus stayed up all night. He, this was very much up on his mind, on his heart, and he prays all night to God. And we see his submission to Christ, his submission to his Father's will. He submits to the Father's will. And what's so fascinating about what's going on, and you, if you read too fast, we're all English readers, and so we read really fast, and we don't really catch some of these very important phrases. But he said that he prayed, he continued in prayer to God. Now, we know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know Jesus is God, right? So Jesus, being the Son of God, being the second person of the Trinity, is praying to God. Praying within the Trinity. The Trinity is talking to each other here. That's a fascinating thing, isn't it? What a great mystery and how that works. But that's basically what's going on. Jesus, the Son of God, is talking to the Father, talking to the Holy Spirit, and there is this oneness that's going on in the Trinity as they prepare the kingdom and these apostles and these leaders who will lead the kingdom of God. It's just a fascinating little piece there. And so what, what is he really praying about? Is he praying, like, God, I don't know who to pick. I really wanted to pick um, Daniel, but I'm really leaning towards Peter. Or I'm, I really want to pick uh, 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 this other James, but I'm really kind of focusing on the... So like, that's not what's happening. Jesus is praying for these men. He is praying for them because he knows what they're about to enter to. He knows the struggles that they're about to have as they are disciples of Jesus. As we see in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays for the disciples that they be sanctified, they will all be one. In that prayer, that high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17 before he's crucified, this is basically what Jesus is doing. He's praying for them. He's praying for their discipleship. He's praying for their training. He's praying for them. And how often do you submit to God's direction through prayer and solitude? I know for me, I don't do it enough. And I know that's probably true of everyone in this room. We don't pray in solitude. We don't remove distractions. We don't turn off our phones. We don't silence our phones. We don't turn off the music or the TV, and we just don't get quiet before God. We don't go away. And some of us have children. Some of us are mothers and fathers, and it's really difficult to find solitude. I get it. But maybe that means getting up a little bit early before they wake up, going to bed a little bit early so that you can wake up. The importance of solitude, to submit to God's direction for your life. One of the reasons we don't is because we want to do our way, and submitting to his will is not our priority, really, right? Like, we really don't want to submit to God's will. We really just want to do it. We got it. We, we know exactly what we want to do. So our priority really isn't God's will. It's our own will. For Jesus, he submitted to the will of his Father. 
And not only did he pray, but he prayed for the disciples, he prayed for others, and that's something we definitely need to be better of at praying for, one, for other people, not just for ourselves. Uh, we can pray a lot, but we can also be selfish in our prayers and only pray for ourselves and our own issues and not pray for other people's issues. A little kind of like a little drop in here for some of you. Uh, we are uh, we have a feed app. There's a, a, a little app called Echo, which is a great uh, prayer a, a prayer app. And our church has a feed on that. And so look it up if you download the Echo uh, uh, app and you look for the Redeemer Fellowship Church feed. You can see some of the prayer requests that you can pray for other people. And we're, we just we, me and David uh, Greenwood just brought that out this week. So it's a little bit. We don't have everything on there, but we're hoping to use that more so you can know what to pray about. But be a part of growth groups and small groups so you know how you can pray for other people. The second point, I want to read this right, a diverse lot of ordinary blokes. A diverse. Now, these guys, I know they're, lot, they're all Jew, all right? So I'm not talking about there was like, you know, there was a Jew, there was, um, there was uh, an Indian, and there was a, an Asian person. Like, we're not talking about that type of diversity, but there, there, are, there is a lot of diversity amongst these 12 men. So he calls his disciples. Now, if you don't know, there was a lot of disciples of Jesus, right? They weren't just 12 guys. We, from, from, from Luke, when Jesus kind of comes onto the scene, and to this point, Jesus has done a lot of cool stuff. He's healed some people. He's, uh, he's fed some people. And there's some people like, I'm going to hang out with that guy because he can like make bread from nothing. Like, I'm going to hang out with that guy because I'm kind of hungry and he can get me food. I mean, so they're hanging out with Jesus. They like what he's saying. They think he, he speaks with authority. And so these 12 guys were amongst a group, a large group of people who followed him. So he picks these 12 guys out amongst these other. He selects these 12 guys to be closer disciples of his. Many had chose to follow him and by his teachings and the miracles. So he chooses 12 who he named apostles. So why does he pick 12 people? Why not 8? Why not 13? Why not 50? Why does he pick 12? Well, this is reflecting not only, number one, there's new leadership in the new covenant. We're moving away from the 12 tribes of Israel. We're moving away from the sons of Jacob. We're moving away from the old covenant of Moses, and we're moving into a new covenant. And so there needs to be new leaders in 12 as a significant number in Israel, right? There was 12 tribes. There was 12 sons of Jacob. Where those, that land of Israel was dispersed amongst those 12 families, those 12 tribes. So now there's an institution of, a, of, new, of 12 new leaders, 12 tribes of Israel. So when a Jew heard that there was 12 disciples, 12 guys that God has selected, that Christ has selected, they would definitely recognize this as something significant. What does Jesus say in Luke 22, 29 through 30? What is so significant about being called a disciple here? What, what is the great prize? Luke 22, verse 29 through 30. And I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit at the throne judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is a significant position. This is a very significant uh, title that Jesus has called out these 12 men to be apostles, disciples in the kingdom of God. So who does he pick? First off, he picks four fishermen. We already know from Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, that these guys were, 
they believed Jesus. They believed that he was something special, but they didn't really see the goods yet. Like, they didn't see Jesus yet and his true power. And what does he do? He, he says, hey, hey, I know you've been fishing all day, but I want you to cast your nets on the other side. And so they did that. And I go, man, we've been fishing all day. You don't know anything about fishing. You're a, ca- you're a carpenter. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, what do you know about fishing? We're fishermen. We've been doing it since the day we were born. We know there's no fish. They, well, they do it anyways. What do they do? They brought this huge load of fish. Probably made a lot of money off that. So we know from the, these four guys were in that scene, in that episode, and, and they're not remarkable. I mean, they're just fishermen from Galilee, man. We're not talking about significant people. We're not talking about, you know, an up-and-comer. I mean, these guys are just fishermen in Galilee, and they're picked. They're selected to be four disciples of Jesus. I mean, even in Acts 4.13, these guys, even, were, even, in, even after Jesus is raised from the dead and ascends into heaven, what do they say about uh, uh, Peter and John? They were confident men, but they were uneducated and ignorant. This is what they were known. They were, from the visual eye, the eye test, they were seen as un, uh, uneducated and ignorant people. And that's who God picked. Who else did he pick? I'm not going to talk about every one of these. We'd be here all day. Um, the second group, you have just this assortment of guys, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. One that we know a lot about because he wrote the Gospel of Matthew, he was a tax collector. If you know anything about tax collectors, we don't like tax collectors now. I think there was a joke made about tax collectors at church a few weeks ago. Like, we don't like tax collectors. We still don't like tax collectors. One of the disciples was a tax collector. And one of the issues with tax collectors back then was that they were hated by the Jews. Why? Because they got all their money from the Romans. They helped the Romans. The Jews hated those guys. And then when Jesus is criticized for hanging out with Matthew and his friends, the thing is that we never talk about, I bet Matthew didn't have any other friends but sinners and tax collectors. He probably, that's all he had to be friends with. He had friends with prostitutes and probably petty criminals. Matthew's like, man, no one wants to be friends with me. This is all I got, man. When I want to have a barbecue, these are the only people I can invite. I don't have anyone else to invite. The Pharisees are criticizing, why, why are you hanging out with sinners? Why are you hanging out with prostitutes? And I was like, this is all I got. It's the only people I have. These are the only people I'm friends with. Because he's a tax collector, and nobody wanted to be friends with a tax collector. He was the lowest of the social level. Banned from the temple. So we know about that. I mean, he picked a tax collector. And in this last group, this James Alpheus the Less, we don't know anything about James the Alpheus. We know that he is mentioned in Mark uh, 15, 40, because his mother helped uh, kind of bury Jesus. We know that his mother, his nickname James the Less, his nickname was the Less. That's his nickname. Either he was really short, or he just was someone you just overlooked. Like, you just didn't notice James amongst a bunch of people because he was just... Not that important. He's not that significant of a person. You just overlooked him. Then you have Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. And going back to James, uh, uh, son of uh, Alpheus, we know nothing about him in the rest of Acts. He's not mentioned at all. He's not mentioned like Peter or John or Paul. He's not mentioned at all. He's just an ordinary guy. He was called out by Jesus. But we know he was an apostle. We know that he was one who preached the gospel. We know that he was killed. Church history says that some, some uh, stories say that he was killed in Syria or Persia. But he was an apostle. He preached the gospel. He, he expanded the church. But he was just an ordinary guy. 
Simon the Zealot. The Zealot is an important little term here. It's not a, it's not a last name. It's, an, it's, 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 a, it's a title. It was his political party. He was extremely political. He was known as the Zealot. He was, outlaw, uh, political, he was a part of an outlaw political sect. You had the Pharisees, who were the fundamentalists. You had the Sadducees, who were the powerful, the rich, the established. You had the Essenes, who were the ascetics. They were like the monks. And then you had the Zealots. They were the political revolutionaries of the first century. They were actually known as assassins. They would kill Romans. They would be those guys that would like hide on the roads, and when uh, Roman troops came by, they would attack and kill them. They were militant. They were revolutionary. They were, they were hoping in a political Messiah. I bet you he got involved with Jesus because he thought Jesus was going to be this political Messiah that he was going to overthrow the Romans. That's why he joined the team. But Jesus picked him. He came to believe that Jesus was the hope of political revolution, but along the way, he became a genuine believer. Nowhere do we know in Acts or the rest of church history did Simon the Zealot go, this is crazy, I'm going back to my, my crew, and we're going to kill Romans again. He doesn't do that. He follows Jesus. He becomes a genuine believer. He gives his life so that every tongue, nation, and, and, and race may hear the gospel, the true revolution. Then Judas, not Iscariot, but the other one, the one that no one talks about, or Thaddeus. Thaddeus is a nickname. Mentioned in Matthew 10.3, known as Breast Child. It's a nickname. Nickname is Breast Child. Meaning he was probably a mama's boy. He was probably a gentle soul. I mean, he was probably a sweet spiritual soul. He was that guy. He was just sweet, man. Like, he was just a good dude. But, like, he wasn't someone you're going to be very scared of. This is Thedius. Not mentioned very much in the stories of Acts. He was known as the club. Because he was clubbed to death. So this guy, who was known as a mama's boy, is someone who was a genuine believer in Christ and died for his faith. These guys are completely ordinary. There's nothing significant about them. There are, they're not, they're not, there's not some secret sauce in them. They are ordinary guys and people that you would completely overlook in most life. And these are the people Jesus picked to be his disciples. Just some observations. None were religious elite. None were wealthy, except maybe Matthew. None were intellectual elites. Some would have been at odds with each other. Think of this. Simon the Zealot was a revolutionary who hated the Romans. Matthew was a tax collector who got his money from the Romans. Don't you probably think they had different political ideologies? Don't you think a Republican-Democrat going on right there? I mean, you have totally different political ideologies, and they're a part of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So when they think about church, you're like, well, church is like, if you, you can't have different political views in church. Well, they had it in the disciples' crew. So kind of going off a little bit of political views. You know, people say you can't talk about politics in the church. There's too many disagreements. Man, I think politics should be talked about in the church. We should, be, we should have disagreements on different policies and issues, but we should be united in Jesus Christ. I hope here at Redeemer Fellowship Church that we have Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, pro-Trump, Bernie Sanders, communist, man. We have them all in here. And, 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 and we think about how does that all work here? Well, we have Jesus. But you all have different political ideology. Yeah, and we love Jesus. They deal with it. That's the way that it should work here. And it worked with the disciples. Because Matthew and Simon, they probably had some debates. But they were in Christ. 
We should show the model of the world about civility. We should show the world civility. Because honestly, if you watch the news in the last two weeks, there is no civility whatsoever in the world. And the church should show civility. Not all of us should be Republicans, because not all of us agree on the same thing. We all come from different backgrounds. And some of us prioritize some issues over others. We should have discussions, we should have debates, but we should be united in Christ. Just debate and love. The world would look upon us and say, how does that work? And we would say, Christ Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus. That's the only way it works. God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The most remarkable things about these gods is that they were chosen by God to be disciples. That's it. That's the only remarkable thing about them is that they were chosen by Christ to be disciples. They were not unique or great or extraordinary before they were disciples. You know, I, for people who know me, me and Josh, and now and Ryan a little bit, we love college football. I was watching it last night. My wife was watching it with me. Great thing. Watching college football. Um, I can talk about college football for days. If you want to talk about college football, I'm your man. Man, I love football. I don't like the NFL as much, but I love college football. And if you know anything about college football, man, it's all about recruiting, right? You, you got to recruit. You got to get the, it's not about the, it's not about the, the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's, right? It's about the players. You got to get the best players. And, and people, will, they will cheat, and they will, they will do all kinds of stuff for the best players. Man, you, and you, if you know about recruiting, you want the five-star players, right? You want the, the top of the top, the top 100 players, right? Those are the guys you want on your team, or the four-star players. You want these guys that are going to be NFL stars. These are the guys you want on your team. You're not picking one-stars, right? You're, if you're a college football coach, and you're at the University of, let's say, Kentucky, and you're picking one-stars, you're going to get fired. Like, your team's not going to win because you've got no players, Jesus picked one stars. Like he picked the guys that should be playing Division Three or walk-ons. Those are the people that Christ picked. He selected. He picks ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The last point is this. Um, Shalah is the, is the Arabic for apostle. So when Jesus said apostles, that was the word he used, Shalah. And what a shalah is, is he's an ambassador. We've used this term before. But he was an official representative of the Sanhedrin. He handled or legal or religious disputes with, with the full rights of the governing body. He spoke with their authority. He, he was tasked to deliver the message of the group who, whom he represented. Think of a press secretary of the president. Maybe not Trump, but other presidents. Uh, who, when the press secretary spoke... She or he spoke the words of the president. She or he spoke the message of the president. So when you heard the press secretary speak, you're in your mind, you're saying, that's the president speaking. Or when you think of the secretary of state who goes over to China or Russia or the EU and talks to different uh, elected or other uh, uh, officials of the state, he speaks as one who holds authority, as someone speaking the words of the U.S. government. So he's representing, he, he speaks the message of, he has authority because he's given authority. The one sent by the man is also the man himself. Or the, the, one, who, the one sent by the woman is also the woman himself, what, herself. So the way you look at that, that, that an apostle is one who has authority because the one who sent them has given them this authority. So an apostle spoke with authority, delivered the message of the group or the person or exercised that authority. So Jesus names them apostles. Only in Luke and Acts, so we get this term apostle so many times. Luke uses apostle often. Where Matthew and Mark just say the one sent or those sent, they would use this term, this official, uh, this official position of apostles. 
And what is the evolution of these ordinary men? They, these disciples believed in Jesus. They followed Jesus. They were chose to be apostles. Jesus then sent them to preach to Israel in Luke 9, 1 through 11. He then sent them out to spread the good news to the world in Matthew 28. In Acts 2, we see Peter standing up during the day of Pentecost and preaching the word to thousands. One who would deny Jesus three times before uh, peasants and young girls is now preaching the gospel to thousands. This is the evolution of these guys, these men. Some are known, some are unknown. And so Jesus calls them to be apostles, but it wasn't like something like they just caught on quickly, right? I mean, they had many missteps along the way. I mean, they lacked understanding a lot. Like Jesus would do something and they didn't understand any of it. They would lack humility. Even that point in uh, Luke 9 where they're like arguing with one another who's the greatest. You always like you think they're all like prize boxers. They're all yelling at each other like it's Muhammad Ali. Like I'm the greatest. And they just see them yelling at each other and Jesus overhears this. This is the lack of humility amongst this group. Weak in faith, you know, like uh, when, when Jesus is on the boat sleeping and they're like, Flipping out because of the storm. They go, oh, we're all going to die. And they wake up Jesus. I mean, lack of faith, lack of loyalty. I mean, when Jesus is arrested, they all scatter. They lacked power. Uh, they were unable to uh, heal the demon uh, from that man because Jesus said, well, you have to pray and fast. And they refused. They didn't pray. And so, therefore, they didn't have any power. They failed so many times. There was missteps along the way. They were they lacked faith, they lacked loyalty, they lacked power, they lacked understanding, they lacked humility, but yet God selected them anyways. What did he select them to do? He selected them to be the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20. He selected them to reveal God's word. We see this in Acts 2.42, that the church uh, met and, 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 and learned from the teachings of the apostles. They edified the church. Ephesians 3.5 said they were holy. They were selected to be holy. They did miracles, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs and miracles of the apostles. They were selected to do an amazing and extraordinary task. And these guys were not guys you usually select to do extraordinary things. Maybe some of you here at the same point Peter was and the others in Luke 18, 28 through 34. When, I'm just going to go to that passage, Luke 18. 28 through 34. We're almost done. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in the times and the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything is written about the Son of Man, how the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they, the disciples, understood none of these things. Maybe some of you are like that. You sit in church, and you don't understand any of this stuff, man. You, this stuff is going all over your head. This, some of this stuff's not landing anywhere. Maybe that's where Peter was, man. That's where the disciples were. They didn't get it majority of the time. Maybe some of you are at that point, and maybe you lack understanding. Maybe you lack faith. Let me encourage you. You are where the disciples were. That's where they were. They lacked faith. They lacked understanding. They lacked humility. 
God has chosen to use people like you and me and the disciples and many others to represent his kingdom, and, in, and he commissions them in ministry. And after this episode in the life of Christ, he began to train them for his going away. And Jesus, in his perfect wisdom, believed it was better for the kingdom for him to train these 12 and send them out and for Jesus to leave. The church grew from the ministry of these men to the ends of the earth. These 12 men and many others who were just ordinary people that that followed Jesus, when Jesus ascended into heaven, they changed the world. And as a church, we want to do just like Jesus did. We want to model what Christ did. We don't want to be a church of three leaders, three guys who do all the work, who do all the preaching, who do all the teaching, who do all the evangelism. That's, that's not the church that I want to be a part of. Yesterday was like that like model of how a church should be run. I wasn't a part of any of it. I mean, we didn't just show up and helped. We were told what to do. We were ordered around. That was what we need. We need to be a church that God sends extraordinary people who lack in faith and lack in understanding, lack in training, and use it for his kingdom because we already have examples of that's how God works. He uses ordinary people to do amazing things. And so you're at the point, if you're a follower of Christ, you're at the point where you may lack understanding. Maybe you lack faith. Well, you need training. You need preparation. You need growth. Guess what? We have growth groups. We have a place that you can grow. If you're someone who doesn't know Christ... You're in the right place because we're going to preach the Bible all the time. We're going to preach the gospel all the time. And when you do respond to the gospel, when you do put your faith in Christ, we will train you and prepare you for ministry. God is honoring them. They are not perfect. They do not have clean and perfect lives. This is the disciples. And let me just give you an example of one in our church, and I'm going to put them on the spot, and they're going to be probably embarrassed and maybe turn red. But Robert and Latasha Hudson, like, whenever I first met them, their lives were not perfect. They'd be the first person to tell you that their lives were not perfect. Their past are not perfect in any means, right? They usually are the people that in big churches or in churches, they wouldn't select to be worship leaders and leaders in churches if you know them from their past. But God uses people with all different backgrounds and all different lifestyles to do his work. And he's doing his work through them. That's happening here. So if you're someone who's like, man, I don't really have, like, I don't have it all together. Like, I don't really feel like I'm prepared. I don't really feel like I have enough training. Well, then you're in a great spot because we can train you, but we're going to give you opportunities to lead and do ministry. God has chosen people to do his work regardless of what's going on in their life, regardless of their mistakes. God picks mistake-prone people to do his work. He does it all the time. And we sometimes as a church, you're not perfect yet. You're not good yet. Like, we need, to get, we need to see you be a little more perfect, and then we'll use you. That is not biblical. That is not from the Bible. So you have to ask yourself the question, what is your excuse? What is your excuse? It's not because you have mistakes. It's not because you sin. It's not because you are not trained. Your excuse is yourself. And an inability to believe that God uses ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. Let's pray. So, Lord, I thank you for your word. I praise you so much for your word. I thank you for the conviction it does to us that, Lord, we can all make excuses. We can say, well, I just don't have time. Or we can say, I just don't have any talent. Lord, I could say, I don't have any strength. I, I just, I, I've got too many things in my past. I, I, I make too many mistakes. All those things are 
things, Lord, that you don't even demand from us. You don't demand that we be perfect. You don't demand that we show extraordinary talents. Lord, you use ordinary people, mistake-prone people, to further your kingdom. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that the people in this room would believe that. They would go home thinking about that. They would pray about that. There would be a church that trains and equips and grows, but gives people opportunities, Lord, to live out the mission of your word, which is to share the gospel to the world, to love one another, to love our neighbors, to be faithful to your word, to walk in the good works that you've already prepared beforehand, that we are your workmanship prepared for good works. And Lord, may we be a church that encourages that and equips people to do so, and edifies people and prays for people. Lord, if there's anyone in here who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would accept Christ Jesus, that they would put their faith in Christ. It's not coming to full understanding that you become a believer. It's coming to an understanding that you don't have understanding and you don't have all the wisdom, but you trust Christ anyways. And he gives you that understanding. He gives you that wisdom as you walk and you grow with him. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name.